back to On the Mic with Mike Peters. My guest this week is a very funny guy from St. Louis, Missouri. Yeah, they let me talk to people from Missouri now. Chris Sear. He's been doing comedy for eight years all over the Midwest. He just got promoted to being a feature at the Helium Comedy Club in St. Louis. We also talked a little bit about sports, video games, and believe it or not, Saved by the Bell and Full House. I don't even pre-screen these comedians anymore. I think they just know, oh, I want to get onto the show. I need to nerd up on Full House and Save the Bell because, really, that's all Mike knows about. They're not wrong. If you like Chris here, you can see him perform on the On The Zoom Comedy Show on Saturday, December 5th at 8 p.m. Chris will be there with Nico Lukoff from Idaho and Jared McCallie from the Philly area. Tickets are $5, and they're available on Facebook, Eventbrite, or through Venmo if you send $5 to Mike Peters Comedian. You can also become a Patreon member, and for $5 a month, you get access to every show we do. Trust me, it's a steal. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please like, share, subscribe. Please give me a review, and I'll talk to you guys next week. Take care. Peeling back my sunburnt skin I'll wait outside your bedroom I, I hope they let me in I appreciate you doing this. Thanks for having me on. These are always fun. Yeah, I, uh, I've i recorded, I think, over the quarantine, the stay-at-home order, whatever you want to say it, I've probably recorded about 30 of these, which has been fun because it's given me something to do. You know, like, Right. Otherwise, I'd just be, you know, uh, watching Saved by the Bell again. Yeah, and, uh, just going crazy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like Saved by the Bell, but I think once you've memorized it, you can probably stop watching it. Well, that's good, because if it became unavailable, you would be responsible for acting it out with whatever like enclave you're traveling with. If this was a post-apocalyptic world and you were sitting around a campfire, your job would be to reenact all of Saved by the Bell. I could, and I could do everything. Uh, you know, I I wouldn't like to replay the Tory years, but yeah. whatever. You know, those 13 episodes that are just kind of lost. Right, but. the Scientology years. Isn't that a... Uh, that's who played her, right? On oh man, I bet I just created an alternate world. Yeah, man, I don't think uh, I don't think you're right on that. For some reason, I thought it was the wife from King of no, Queens. That's Stacy Carosi. Oh no, yeah. I definitely created a parallel world then. Yeah, no, wow, she that, was. That's better. <laughs> yeah, she was. She was in the Malibu Sands here, and like I think oh. I think there were like eight episodes, six or eight episodes, and like I'm gonna say season four, right? Okay. Uh, all I know is Zach got a really cool car. <laughs> and uh, I got a really big, that's when I fell in love with Stacey Carosi. So when Doug Heffernan, when he married her for King of Queens, yeah. I fell in love again. And I'm like, wow, I can be an out of shape guy who nobody in their right mind would want except for Leah Remini. Right. I can do this. The best Hollywood trope that's been played in so many shows. Uh, yeah. Fat guy, hot chick. <laughs> hey, but like, you know, you, you go uh, King of Queens Mm-hmm. And that's modeled after, um, I just blanked on the name, Ralph Cramden. Oh, uh, the Honeymooners. Honeymooners, yeah. The, yeah. But that, but I think it started with the Honeymooners. Oh, yeah, definitely. Fred and Wilma, like, that came from there. Yeah. Uh, like, just keep going. If hell, Fred and Wilma and their next door neighbors, Barney and Betty. Like, they were both schlubby dudes. Right. Betty was a babe. Like, why? Yep. I think she would rather go with Dino than Barney. Yeah, but Barney got her pregnant. So, you know. 
They got married. Plus, you know, I love the Flintstones. I have to go back and watch it. But like the women there were so progressive, like I think because <laughs> they were they were really running the households. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, back then you could probably just Fred and Barney could probably just beat him with a bone and uh, <laughs> drag him somewhere else. Like we're that going to the, the we're going to the lodge. <laughs> yeah, no, that was a societal norm in caveman times. You just hit them over the head, and then you went out with your boys. That was it, right? It kind of reminds me of like the 1920s or uh, yeah, <laughs> 2020s. Yeah, no, we're back there. Uh, we just have better <laughs> technology. <laughs> Speaking of technology, I you're the first person I talked to from Missouri for this podcast, but oh, well, which welcome. I love. <laughs> yeah, which you know, it's I'm doing a I'm doing a state by state tour. It's it's fun. One of the things I love most about this pandemic is you know I, I met you in a Zoom mic through uh, I forget the asshole comedian we know. Uh, uh, I just I just know she's a dumpster fire. Yeah, of a person she's just always I, uh, making jokes about cancer and dead babies. Yeah, and stuff. Ellen Doyle. Ellen Doyle. Yeah. Edge Lord right. Doyle. Know, That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll bet you anything. If I said, uh, I know a female comedian who's a dumpster fire, somebody would be like, Ellen Doyle. It's got to be Ellen Doyle. <laughs> I love Ellen so much. She's great. So do I. But I just want to clearly is, state that. <laughs> the good thing is she's not going to listen to this. If it, no. If it, maybe she will. Maybe she'll listen for her name. Right. And then as soon as we start talking about, like, you know, your career, she'd be like, ah, fuck that. I'm out. Right. Do you do that? Do you listen to like when your friends are on podcasts, like cue it up and just kind of like skip through to see if you're mentioned, if it's someone who should mention you? <laughs> yeah, I will. But but you know what? Like I don't I don't fast forward through it after my mention because I'm hoping that I get mentioned again. So what right. I'll do is I'll uh, if I have a buddy who's got a pod and, you know, we're comedians, everybody right. we know has a podcast. Exactly. Uh, so I listen to like all the local podcasts and then if I hear my name, I'm like, oh, awesome. And I'll text like a, a buddy of mine who did the podcast. I'm like, hey, thanks for the mention or I'll make fun right. of him or I'll text my friend Danielle. I'm like, hey, I got another podcast mention. And she's <laughs> like, yeah, I'm working, you idiot. I, uh, <laughs> I'm i being productive. You're a, a loaf. So <laughs> Exactly. Right. Then you uh, text them if they don't mention you. It's like, hey, you know that first show you said was like your start. I ran that show. How come you didn't mention that? <laughs> yeah, you asshole. Like, I'm responsible for your, your mediocre career right now. Yeah, be petty. That's my rule. Anytime somebody's on a podcast, I'm like, see how much mention I get. And then if I don't, I'm just not booking them again. I run shows. <laughs> they don't have to work for me. <laughs> you've been doing a podcast. You've got Impolite uh, Company. Yeah. Uh, you've been doing that for like, what, two years? Uh, I think so. Yeah, I started it as a radio show. I used to do that at 6 a.m. Monday through Friday on an a.m. radio station here in St. Louis. And that was interesting. They let me do whatever I want. Um, it was kind of like if you had your own sponsors, you had a radio show. I couldn't cuss, obviously, because of SEC rules. And then eventually that station changed its format. And I was like, this is still fun. And I could cuss if I recorded on my own anyway. So I just moved <laughs> it to a full podcast, which is basically AM radio anyway, as far as like the amount of people who listen and stuff. <laughs> Do you like it better? Yes and no. Like the whole thing when I did it on the radio was I don't like mornings. Like I hate mornings, but I love staying up all night. So the whole thing for that show was to figure out if I was actually waking up or if I was still awake uh, while I was doing it. And it was trippy and fun. And it was kind of a combination of me just doing like free thought association and then sometimes interviews with local comics. But I liked the structured part of that because I think listening to it live, for one, because we did have live listeners, I think it was a different vibe 
than people who caught the download of it later in the day. And uh, I think psychologically, I felt that vibe a little more when I was on the air. But I much would rather record it in my home, in my basement, comfortably on my own schedule and knock it up at like 4.30 in the morning to be at the studio by 6. That's the thing. Like my dad, uh, and I talk about this, he's a hunter. Yeah. And he has two boys. And I really think he believes he's failed us or we failed him because he's a hunter and a carpenter. And both of those things he likes to do early in the morning. Oh, yeah. He used to wake me up and say, hey, want to go hunting? I'm like, no, it's five o'clock. Like, <laughs> go to bed. I got to watch Save by the Bell in eight hours <laughs> right. and, uh, and also nine hours. And I could never do the early mornings. Uh, I did late night in college. I did late night radio and I loved it. But my shows at the beginning, because we, we did Safe Harbor hours, like, right. the, you know, it's it's 10 to six, I believe, unless they changed it. But we were under the impression before I was like a, you know, I took com law. So right. before I like actually studied anything, we had gone by like midnight to 6 a.m. for you couldn't swear. Uh, the, the music, music. had it in it. Yeah. yeah. So I preferred the midnight to 2 a.m. But I would get home and I'm like, OK, well, I go home and I eat something while watching Roseanne reruns. And then, you know, I got to get up for class at like 730. So it would kill yeah. me. But I would I would much rather do that than get up at 430 in the morning and sit down and talk for three hours. Oh, it was rough, man. I still work. This is going to ruin the magic of anybody who sees me in a club. I still work a day job, too. Uh, <laughs> so I no, normally I contract so I can start working whenever I want in the day. But for most of that year, I was on a place where I had to be there at like 830 in the morning, too. So it's like I was going from the station to a day job. And then this was a point where I was doing shows locally or traveling for shows like constantly so i just there was no time for sleep in my schedule it was nuts how did you balance that did you just kind of have to muscle through it yeah i just you steamroll through it and uh then a quarantine happens a pandemic happens and you start sleeping and you realize what you've been missing for the last few years uh yeah like that's just been me since then because even when i stopped doing that in the morning i still have a day gig and i'm like i started performing more at like clubs and stuff since then this last few months have been an exercise and me going, oh, this is what it's like to have free time. So, yeah, you're kind of used to it. Right. Like, you know, in your first year of comedy or something, you're out every night and you're out till three every night. And since when I started, I started when I was 36. So I already had like a, a full time job and a mortgage that had to be paid and all this stuff. So I'm still doing that out every night till two or three in the morning. And what I try to do was when I shifted from just being an open micer to someone who got work, I tried to just not lose that momentum because I knew like once you slow down, it's hard to pick back up and get in gear. Yeah, I've only been doing comedy for four years. And okay. uh, what I had to do in order to get more stage time was produce shows. Yep. So I just noticed there was like a an apathetic cloud in the Binghamton area. And I'm like, well, there's an opening. If I want, if I can produce shows, then I'll kind of, you know, make my niche in that. So I was working with a few people and then I went off on my own and I'm like, okay, let me start collecting, you know, venues. So before the pandemic hit, I had 14 rooms and wow. most of them were monthly shows. So, you know, I probably run about 12 shows a month and man, I was going Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I picked up a Monday spot and I was about when the pandemic really hit, I was going to meet with somebody for a Sunday spot. So I was going to do comedy like six, seven days a week. Yeah. You know, most of it paid. I, I still run an open mic and it just crashed. So like I've lost some venues, but whatever. But I had to take take a time off. And that time off 
has been really nice, but I am afraid that, you know, I've got to rebuild again. Yeah. It's you not just gonna have to rebuild like the venues to a see if they're still there when this is all done, but b just rebuild your own mindset of like, do I really want to go out and do this as hard as I was running shows? Because for me, it got to be I used to run a bunch of shows, and then in the last couple of years, I've cut it down to I do one monthly show in downtown St. Louis that I book and I produce in a venue, and a buddy and I we do an open mic once a week too, and I cut it back down to those two. But yeah, I used to run a bunch of them. And then I realized like I was running so many shows, I wasn't working on my own material as much either. Yeah. Because you hit that balance, right? You're right. Like the best time to get stage time your first year or two is put together a show, put all your friends on about your level and get one person a couple years ahead to headline it. And you put together those shows and you just get as much stage time as possible. But then also at the same time, it's like, uh, which do I want to do more? <laughs> Yeah, like I think the the thing I noticed most and, you know, who knows if I'm at that level or whatever. I'm, I always downplay myself when I probably should or shouldn't. Yeah, I don't know. But like uh, when I started producing a whole lot of shows, it kind of took my weekends away. So right. we have a we have a funny bone up in Syracuse about an hour and a half away. OK. And I don't know if I could be in a regular rotation up there for hosting. I mean, they like to give them to the to the more local people. Uh, sure. But and I'm happy I did it, I guess. But I took myself out of even the running for it because I was so busy. But I never had to add I, I never had to wait for somebody to offer me a gig on a Friday or Saturday. Like, right. I knew where I was going to be. That's the thing I liked most about running the shows. I mean, yeah, yeah I, I like giving, I mean, there are a lot of things. Like, I, I love giving people opportunities. I like getting mm-hmm. paid to do comedy. That's fun. And, uh, you know, I like being that that bridge, the conduit to stage time and uh, helping people network. Like, there's a lot of things like I like it, but yeah. I really liked taking that internal pressure off of me. Yeah, there's, and I, that's, I mean, that's a legitimate way to do a comedy career too, is just by doing your own indie rooms and then other friends indie rooms. Like that's a legitimate way to, you can tour that way across the country. So I don't think there's any more, like, how do you, how to put it? Like when you say you took yourself out of the running for hosting at the club, like, I don't think you're missing much if that's not like your goal is to be the club comic at some point. Like, I don't know. I do both. I try to balance it between club and indie. So I definitely see if I could do independent shows, do my own material without worrying about if I'm going to piss somebody off to where they won't come back and buy more chicken strips next week. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I could definitely see just doing that. But St. Louis, it seems like if you wanted to get paid to do comedy on a regular basis, you had to kind of at least be able to work the clubs. So it was something I just chose to focus on. Are you a regular at Helium? Uh, Yes and no. (laughs) it's hard to explain. Yes, I am a regular feature there, but I think they've created a new rule where you can only feature there like three times a year. No kidding. Yeah, at your local, just so they keep a rotation. I was much more of a regular as a host because they don't have that rule for a host. So I used to host there, you know, once a month, once every couple months. Um, And then before that, I was a regular at the Funny Bone here. But also on this other time, I try to do way more indie shows and more of the we don't really have an alt scene here. Like our indie scene is kind of our alt scene. So if there was a weird show in a weird venue, I would either put it together or if someone else had put it together, I would try to do it. Now, are you past nationwide as a feature? No. Okay. (laughs) No. So I perform in the Midwest. Okay. Um, Okay. Okay. A lot of small rooms in the Midwest uh, through an agency. And then I book on my own too. So now you can't host at Helium anymore? 
I think they've changed that rule because I've been when they've needed a host, I could come back and host. But it used to be once they moved you to feature, they would not let you host anymore for the plain and simple fact that they don't want the audience seeing you at one level one week and the next level the next week. Right. So it makes sense, I guess. Like they try to create kind of a mystery around it. It seems clubs are weird. Like every club's different, too. So it's everyone's got like a different kind of like path for how you go through that club. Yeah, I would think it would be more to, you know, unclog the the feed. Yeah, I think in a larger scene, it would definitely be that. I think St. Louis only has about 100 comics who call themselves comics. And of that, I'm not sure how many want to do it professionally, but we have a small-ish scene, kind of like maybe Denver's bigger than us, but I think we have the same kind of vibe as Denver here. It's uh, so funny, it, like, because I know you're a city, but when yeah. you say, well, we don't have a lot, we only have 100-ish, you know, I'm from Binghamton, which is on the map. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, one time we were on an episode of Law & Order SVU where this couple disposed of their infant and they had to go to Binghamton. So, like, yeah. we're known for that, but, like... We have around the, I mean, around the area. And when I said Binghamton area, I mean, I mean, Binghamton, Syracuse, Ithaca, Scranton, like we combine all these places. I still would say within all those scenes, maybe 60, 70 people uh, yeah. who are really pursuing something. But I mean, it's not one city. I mean, we're talking about, you know, Binghamton and then 90 minute radius all the way around. Right. Yeah. Well, St. Louis, so it's a city, but it's also... Because our city and our county seat are separate, right? Like, so St. Louis is its own county. St. Louis City is. And then there's also St. Louis County, which is a separate entity. So we're a city and like 30 different municipalities all combined into one with a little bit of Illinois in there, too. So it's kind of the same thing in that we're a city with a whole bunch of inner ring and outer ring suburbs where people say they're from St. Louis. That's where everybody's coming from. And I think you can kind of see like the funny bone open mic that we have here. And before pandemic was a show up, sign up kind of deal. Everybody would sign up and they chose 17 people from whoever signed up at seven o'clock. Right. So you could kind of see like who was actively pursuing getting work at that because 40 people would show up to sign up for 17 spots every week. And you just see who's doing it consistently. Would it be the same 40 people? Uh, I'd say a good 75 percent of them. Like you still get the first timers, uh, the people who just showed up because they lost a bet. Right. Stuff like that. Yeah. That's how I like to hear somebody's pursuing comedy. I lost a bet. Oh, yeah. Isn't which, that great? <laughs> which, you know, after a few years of doing it, you can say, well, yeah, probably. I can see it. <laughs> uh, one of my first feature spots, uh, and I was so happy to feature because, you know, I've been hosting for so long with two different clubs. It was harder to break into featuring uh, because I was working, trying to work both clubs and seeing if that could work. So but when I finally forgot my first feature spot, I was super hot piped and uh I forget who who the person was, but they worked for a local radio station and they had worked out a deal with the club where they could go up and do five minutes of comedy before my spot because they lost a bet on the air. Oh, no. And I was like, OK, I want to watch this person <laughs> be forced to do this thing. I've been working for a couple of years now to try and make a career. <laughs> How did they it's do? You moralize. Oh, they did great. Like they weren't funny, but all their fans were there because they had said on the radio that morning, you know, I'm going to be there and I'm going to do five minutes of stand up. So all their fans cheered and loved it, which was great for them and for the club. I mean, that's why they agree to it. Clearly, like somebody says on the radio, hey, I'm going to be there and 100 people want to buy tickets all of a sudden. So why wouldn't you? Yeah, (laughs) I did a show and I, I hosted a new place and I guess they had had one show there before and 
the audience didn't really like the host. So I can, and she, you know, she's a woman and she's, she's uh, very outspoken with her feminist views and I'm okay. a feminist as well, but I'm a guy. So right. I can hide it a little better, I guess. But uh, the owner of the place said, all right, well, here's what we do. We usually have the host give away T-shirts. And I'm like, well, okay. She's like, well, what you, how you do this is you bring two people up from the audience. You just say, who's got a joke they want to tell? Oh. And I was like, this isn't going to go well. And uh, lively audience. I mean, really great audience. But like two people came in and one guy had I – think, I think the woman – told a really succinct joke and it was okay, but it's a street joke. I mean, like, right. you know, and, and, and nobody's created this one. This guy told this like meandering bullshit joke. It was awful. And I'm like, I think I had to cut him off because nobody was into it. I'm like, all right. But he was so fucking drunk. And right. I'm like, all right, all right. And I just, I, I think I gave the t-shirt to the woman and a drink chip to that guy. And I was ready for the show to just tank from there. Thankfully, like everybody else was really into it because comedy was really, didn't go to that area often. So right. I was kind of saved. But I'm like, any type of bit like that, I'm like, oh no, it's not gonna happen. Like I it's just it. gonna water down everything. Yeah. Well, um, there's a couple clubs in Chicago where they've got it flipped, right? Like the host is the more seasoned comic, and the feature is where they're trying to give people new new people time sometimes, right? It's cause they view the host as being more important. They do a residency for the host where for 30 days, you're the host there. So four weekends a month, you're hosting. And they do that to you, though. You do your material, but then you've got like five minutes where you have to do interaction with the crowd no matter what. And it is stuff like that. It's like, who's got a birthday? Oh, you got a birthday. That's awesome. Who came from the farthest? That's great. Who wants a free ticket to next week's show? And every time I see that, I'm like, I could do it. Part of me would die. <laughs> <laughs> so do you like hosting? I do. Uh, okay. I I was a good host, I think, back when I did it. That's why I still run a couple shows because I, I like flexing that muscle. The way I was always taught was, you know, the it's your party when you're the host. You've invited these next two people to talk to all your guests. So it's your job to make sure that the people at your party who are going to watch these are like into it. But you don't tank them. You don't set them up like to impossible standards. So finding that balance of you doing a good set and then transitioning that energy to the next person, I thought was always a fun challenge. That's a really good way to look at it. I never thought about it like that. It's also hard because like my I did sound so pretentious to say my style of comedy, right? Like that's stupid. But my my overall persona when I perform is just an exaggerated version of me, which isn't super like hosty. <laughs> I guess is the best way to put it. Like, I'm not super high energy. I don't come out going, hey, everybody, we're going to have a great time. This is going to be so much fun. I don't do that. Like, I'm a casual kind of talker. And when you talk about the guy who did the meandering joke, that's me sometimes. Like, I love those meandering jokes where I've at least peppered in, like, many punchlines throughout. But you get to kind of the shaggy dog kind of ending of it, right? And it's hard to do those when you host and then transition immediately back into we're going to have a great time for the rest of the night everybody i hope you've enjoyed my set if you didn't the next guy you know right just like move it through so it was always a challenge my biggest problem with hosting is and i love doing it i mm -hmm. i think i i think i'm very good at it you know some nights suck some nights are great but the hardest part for me is dealing with the awkwardness of ending my set and then getting the next person up because like instinctually you're waiting for applause. Yeah. But the audience doesn't really know you're done. Oh, so it's like, I it's just them. that little bit.
fit. <laughs> yeah. I tell them I want my applause so badly. I <laughs> my set, no matter what, I do I know some people hate doing it, but I do it. I'm like, ladies and gentlemen, that's my time. And I back away from the mic. I take a second. If I've got a bottle of water with me, I take a drink of water while they clap. Then I move back to the mic and go, hey, the rest of the night, we have a fun show for you. Your next comic is a feature out of Boston. Give it up for this guy. <laughs> you know, Does the applause always come? Because always. That, that would be my fear. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you have a particularly bad set, which I've done, they'll still clap out of politeness. It just you won't have time to take the sip of water. <laughs> right. I, right. I'm just riddled with all this self-doubt. Yeah. To where that would just, I, I know, like, and it probably would never happen, but I'm like, no, I'm back in my mind. I'm, it's like a, it's like, I don't know if you're a baseball fan, but it's like, you get what you think is ball four. And right. then you throw your bat and you're running down the line. And then, you know, he calls it strike two. And you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> now I got to go back and yeah. pick up my bat and apologize to the umpire and hope, you know, he gives me the benefit of the doubt of the next call. It's just not going to be good. Yeah. No, and man, in a club, in a bar, it doesn't matter. There's something psychologically with those people in chairs that the moment you back away from that mic after you tell them the time, even if you had a horrible set, they're going to clap a little bit out of politeness. They're conditioned for it at this point. Um, Unless you did something like completely racist or offensive to them and they want to let you know, then they'll at least boo. And then you still come back to the mic and go, all right, well, if you weren't into that, Hopefully the rest of the evening goes better for you. Right. Because like I'm coming back between <laughs> comics. <laughs> well, they'll applaud that you left the stage. Right. Exactly. So you'll get something. But I always tell people when they first host, end your set, like visibly end your set to where it's very clear. You're backing away from the mic. You've asked them to give you the applause that you do this for. Like We don't do this because we like talking to people and not getting a response. We do this because we like talking to people and getting instant validation, right? So give me my pay. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. You got comp tickets. At least applaud me. Yeah, exactly. So I always tell like when people just start hosting, it's a thing that I do. They I do see it a lot is uh, they'll tell their last joke and then just immediately go, ladies and gentlemen, are you ready for your first comic of the evening? And oh, I'm I always like, all right. First of all, you're the first comic. <laughs> Second of all, pause. <laughs> That's a huge pet peeve of mine. Even worse is when I was at a, I'm not going to name her because she knows who yeah. she is. Uh, she's not listening <laughs> either, but uh, it's not Ellen, by the way. But uh, <laughs> Ellen is a lot of things, but she is not this person. So we were doing a show and I, I was hosting and I gave the lineup out. And uh, this comedian who was supposed to be third on the lineup out of like five or so. I came down and I, I hosted and uh, I, you know, said, all right, five minutes or whatever. And I went up to introduce her and she goes, she was surprised that I said her name. And I was like, but you're, you're the third person. Like, and she's like, oh yeah, I thought you meant comedians. Like, cause the host isn't the comedian. I'm like, oh, fuck off. <laughs> I was like, first of all, I booked you on the goddamn show. Second of all, you're a bitch. Third of all, yeah. nobody likes you. Goodbye. Wow. That's what gets me. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, <laughs> that's, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> no, and like, I don't mean she's a bitch and nobody likes her. Like, that's right. what, going up through my head. Like, yeah, she's a fucking person. But I was like, no, I'm in rage mode. No, I didn't say ooh. it because I'm a coward, but, right. you know, whatever. Oh, that, I don't know if I could have not said it. I don't know if I could have not said it. That's, no, the host is the first comic. Always. I don't care who you are. I've had headliners, like, that I've worked with who I think have that attitude where, Eh, whatever. Nobody cares about you. Uh, you're just a host. I don't care. And I hate that attitude. 
they might be right from the crowd's perspective. Right, right. Right. <laughs> right. Like that is another thing you're told. Don't ever sweat fucking up too badly as a host because they're not going to remember. Right. Like if they're there to see a specific headliner, all they're going to remember is Dave Attell said a funny joke and then looked at them. They're not going to remember when you bombed because you forgot the punchline to one of your jokes. But yeah, from every other aspect, you're the first comic, man. Like, oh, I hate that attitude. I would have strangled that person. Well, I think if it were in private, I might have tried. No, do it in public so everybody knows (laughs) it was justified. It's a lesson. (laughs) You know, were a lot of comedians in the crowd. They could have all seen what happened. Like, this is what not to do. Mm Mm-hmm. It's a learning moment. <laughs> so you just opened for uh, a guy, I don't know, Mark Normand? Yeah. How, how'd that go? Fun. He's one of those headliners where he has fans. So the people in the club were there to see him. So they were there to see comedy. They were expecting jokes. So it's probably, those are the easiest gigs. Yeah. Like they could, the, the audience is hot when they come in. Uh, the host did a good job of setting them up. And then I would go out and just, I got to try new material even if it didn't work great, it worked well. And I got to figure out like what I want to tweak on it. And then I got to bring out some of the bangers that I haven't done in like six months. He's such a goddamn good joke writer. He is. And like, and I think his fans, like I'm a, I'm a big fan. Uh, I, I, you probably can't see it. I got mm-hmm. his album on my wall <laughs> and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll show you later, but I only uh, see your name behind. You. Well, that's the only <laughs> name that really matters. <laughs> <laughs> I I figured I designed this office and I put like uh, I got somewhere like 63 album covers on this. And right. the only one that's really prominent above my head is my name. Yeah, because I figured hey, somebody's got to be a fan of me. I might as well be the guy. I'm with you. I'm still <laughs> hanging art in my office and I haven't figured out which way to go. Maybe it'll just be a bunch of pictures of me. I like this idea. I really want to buy one portrait of me, but I can't. All I think about is like Trump bought a picture of him for yeah. Mar-a-Lago. And I'm like, I can't do that. The only exception to that would be if I put a picture of me in the bathroom because it would be funny. <laughs> right. But that's it. Right at eye level. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like if I ever have a guest over, I could just watch them pee. I could watch Definitely. them shit. I think you should do that. I'll talk to my therapist. See, like, <laughs> does that mean something? <laughs> There is probably some deep-seated primal urge in there that's being conveyed. <laughs> but with Mark, like uh, I've seen him a couple times. I uh, met him once after, outside of uh, uh, the Syracuse Funny Bone. Super nice guy. And uh, I would imagine that his fans are just ready to go, like you said, from the start. But they're interested in the craft of the joke as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So does that, does that take the pressure off of you, you think? Definitely. You know, I don't know if you've ever done a show where the entire audience is comped. So it's like no, a bunch no. of people like they they don't go to comedy shows. They got this text where, oh, come out to the club. It's free comedy tonight. Uh, so they're coming out and they're you got to fight them. Right. Like they have this adversarial attitude of make me laugh. Prove me this was worth my time. Those people are assholes and they're terrible crowds. Usually it's fun to get them on your side, but it's a lot of work. His crowd, though, like they come out, they listen to his podcast, so they understand how stand up works. They listen to other podcasts, so they know more about the craft than you do. They know not to call it a craft. Like (laughs) they know all this stuff. So they're very, like, I don't know what their educational level is, but they're very smart as far as comedy is concerned. So when you start your first joke, you get that first laugh. They're on board and those, like, they'll let you play with them. They'll let you, like, go a few places that other crowds won't. Like, if you want to do that meandering joke, they're like, all right, well, this is going to come back to something I can see. Uh, With a lot of crowds, you can't. 
So his crowds are just fun. I wonder with him and Joe List, because they do two sets of stories. Yeah. I wonder if those guys and Attell and those old school guys are going to be like grandfathered into like this acceptance because Mark Norman, it seems, can go, he can tiptoe that line. I mean, he's very good at it too, which helps. Yeah. But he can tiptoe the line with sexism and racism, everything. And it seems to be unscathed. And I, ho- I hope he doesn't change. Yeah, I think... I mean, that's practiced so well, too, right? Like, he goes out, when you watch a special of, this is what I like about comedy, and you see it when you watch these guys, right? Like, it's kind of fun for us to watch them do the material that's going to be on their next hour, right? Like, when they get the Netflix special. But they go out to clubs, and you can see those jokes not work. Like, when you see the final version on YouTube uh, for his YouTube special or something, that's the version that no one ever booed. And right. he, we were talking about this is he's like, yeah, like you just got to keep doing the version that doesn't work till you get to the version that does work and conveys what you want it to and not what somebody thinks it's conveying. And I'm like, that's a that's a big deal. So, yeah, uh, he does. He skirts that line well. And it's just he's very practiced at it. And it was fun watching. Like, it was fun. And when it didn't work, he acknowledged it. He's like, OK, I think this is coming off as racist. Uh, that's not what I'm doing. So, Ooga. Uh, and he was <laughs> <laughs> I don't There's think a, he once said a wooga. Uh, that was me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want that out there. Yeah, that might get you canceled. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, there's a special on Chris Rock's uh, Roll With The New or Bring mm-hmm. The Pain, whatever it's called. I think Bring The Pain is the, the TV special and Roll With The New is the album. Right. But, uh, when he was working out all that material, they mentioned that he was trying out in black rooms and was not getting good feedback. You know, like th- those are tough rooms and they're, they're not like a, they're not very, I- I've done a, a couple black rooms or black audiences and they're not bashful about saying you suck. Uh, like they'll, not at all. they'll let you know. Yep. So, but, but in that, in that special, they were, I don't know if he, I don't even think he was interviewed in it, but everybody's like, yeah, he knew it wasn't going to work, but he kept going back to those rooms until it did work. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of my writing process, too, is I write a joke and then most of the rest of the writing comes from stage. Like I write from the stage after I get the original premise down and I do like everything in my set that I do now. Somebody told me it seems like I'm just like rambling and coming up with things off the top of my head to throw into it. It's like, no, I went out and I did this a million times with nobody liking any of it. And now it's down to a tight nine minute joke about shitting the bed. Uh, (laughs) it's like yeah that whole idea of just you have to keep taking the same joke that doesn't work back to the same room if you want those people to laugh you just got to keep figuring out what it is they're not laughing at and then adjust you know driving a car on the highway it's a million little adjustments to stay in a lane and that's all comedy is when did you start doing comedy uh so i'm eight years in now when i was 36 i started I'm 44 now, just to give everybody a glimpse of how the fuck old I am. Yeah, I just uh, <laughs> wanted to embarrass you a little bit. That's it. No, it's cool. Uh, most people guess younger, uh, unless you're way younger than you guess way older. So I started when I was 36. Everybody else was in their 20s. So I felt like I had to come out twice as much and write twice as fast to get any progress. Yeah, that's how I was. I, I started at 32. And okay. uh, yeah, and you know, it was something I'd always wanted to do. And I was a journalist for 12 years or so. And I, I just, I didn't have a, an avenue to write. And, you know, I'd written stories before. And, you know, my grandma always told me, write down everything you say, because, uh, you know, all those stories that she heard, and she loves them, they all end horribly for me. Like, <laughs> like, I, 
I uh, I burned my dick with battery acid. And ah. uh, yeah, you, you know how you do. Yeah, and, sometimes. Uh, <laughs> so you never know what's going to happen. But like <laughs> things like that. And I would tell my grandma and she was just like every week I would call her and she goes, what do you have for me? And so I'm like, I had all this material. And so I started doing comedy, but I'm 32. And I'm like you, I, I'm, I'm there with a bunch of like people in their early 20s. Mm-hmm. I never felt like I could miss an open mic. Right. Because I felt like I had wasted 12 years where, you know, maybe I didn't, but that's how I felt. Yeah, <laughs> it is. You definitely feel like you're behind the curve, especially when one of those people in their mid 20s has been doing it since they were 17. And yeah. you're like, all right, well, <laughs> I got to figure something out. The only difference is, though, like you come into that, you had 12 years of journalism experience behind you, right? So you can talk from, and I had this because I was 36. I had, I have a master's almost. I'm a class short and I'm never going back to finishing it. Just fuck it. <laughs> out of spite. Um, right. Out of spite. So in accounting, I have a bachelor's in accounting and most of my master's in accounting. I was working in corporate accounting, kind of writing a little bit here and there on the side. And I decided I wanted to try stand up. And I went out and did it the first year. I did both my normal job, still going to school, doing stand up. And then when I started getting work, I was like, you know what I really hate is my day job. So I just quit. I was like, fuck it. I could figure something else out to do. Uh, I got stuck in accounting because I had a degree in it. It paid money. I didn't enjoy it. So I went out and I found a day job that was a little more manageable. And I decided to focus on comedy after the first maybe year and a half, which is dumb. Never quit your day job <laughs> to pursue a comedy career in your second year. Luckily, I'm the kind of person I hate a full-time job. I hate permanent employment. I don't care about benefits. I don't care about any of the golden handcuffs that they shackle you with. So my day gig right now is just a business analyst for hire. I'm kind of like a mercenary with spreadsheets. I do it on my schedule. I do it from wherever I am. So if I'm traveling for comedy, I can do it from the hotel I'm in or from a coffee shop. So I lucked out into that. And I realized that's a privilege. Like I do not ever recommend anyone quit their full-time job, like their second or third year of comedy. I remember I was at an open mic not too long ago and I hope it was for a bit, but this guy came in and I think he was just doing stand up for maybe the third or fourth time. And he was good. Like he like naturally funny, didn't write, you know, just came up and, and bullshit on the stage. But it was funny. One night he came in and said, yep, I just quit my job to pursue comedy. And I was like, <laughs> in my mind, I was screaming. I'm like, no. Now, I don't know what job he had, but I'm like, yeah. you got to get something like you're he's young enough to live at home still. But, dude, oh, man. keep your job. We all get a little overzealous in like what we're doing sometimes, I guess. Like there have been times like there was a period where I was seriously considering like living. I live in St. Louis, which is five hours from Chicago. And my wife and I talked about it and we were cool with it, where I considered living part time in Chicago uh, to get more stage time up there because I thought that's what you had to do. And luckily, a friend of mine talked to me and was like, you know, you could work just as much, if not more from here by driving within five hours in a circle than anywhere you would if you were in Chicago. Yeah. And he was right. Like I scrapped that plan and I reset my level of where I thought I was into something a little more realistic uh, right now. And it's been a better upward trajectory than it would have if I upped and moved. Are you seven hours from Denver? Uh, no, we're 12 hours from Denver. Okay. So Kansas That's a City. long drive. All right. So I went... I, Talk about a ro- long drive. Yeah. I went on a road trip for a weekend from Maryland to Kansas City. Okay. But we, we saw we went to Kansas City first and then drove four hours back to St. Louis for a game. Like we saw the Royals and then the next I think we saw the Royals at seven o'clock at mm-hmm. night. And um, 
I think it was a two o'clock game for the Cardinals. Yeah. So like we we did both. But yeah, so that's it's seven hours from Kansas City, I think. That's about right, because Kansas City is usually where I like Kansas City is about three, four hours from St. Louis. So yeah. Kansas is not my friend. Uh, I've written several jokes about driving through Kansas and how much I hate it just because it's so terrible. Right. It just doesn't seem fun. No, unless you got a destination, like if you're going to a county fair somewhere in the middle or a gun show, I could see that being fun. But no, it's one long stretch that never ends. And I've driven back and forth from New York City like several times in my life. That drive gets boring, but it picks back up, right? That drive to Denver from here, at least, never picks up. Like there's never something interesting to look at. We we made one stop from Kansas City to St. Louis. We stopped at like an antique stop. (laughs) Um, or like a, like a vintage old thing. I remember getting photos. I have them somewhere. I have photos of a picture of Chris Farley and for some reason, like a bunch of Yoohoo. And like, (laughs) so like between Kansas city and St. Louis, the most exciting thing I saw was a six pack of Yoohoo. Uh, when I drive to Kansas city from where I'm at, I usually, if I wanted to, could stop off in Columbia, Missouri, which is where, uh, Mizzou, the big state college is. So if you want to see a football game, you can stop there. Otherwise, no. Driving through Missouri is, at least there's scenery. When you drive through Kansas, there's not even that. It's just flat. <laughs> so. Are you from St. Louis? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I grew up here. I pretty much lived within the city limits my whole life. It's been fun. I live about six blocks away from where I grew up. So that's nice. I'm a big baseball fan. And I know St. Mm-hmm. Louis and, and the Cubs, they don't get along. But no. <laughs> do the comedy scenes, are they like that at all? Or... Does it no, matter? I mean, it doesn't matter. Like Chicago comics come down here and do shows all the time. St. Louis comics move to Chicago first, usually before they move somewhere else. So uh, it's pretty friendly. I think it's easier. I'll tell you, one of the best things about never moving to Chicago is it's easier to get stage time in Chicago. I drive up. I make a few emails before I like drive up for the weekend and say, hey, I'm going to be in town. Can I get on the show? Can I get some stage time? And if you're a visiting comic from out of town, it's way easier than if you're a Chicago comic living there. Like they are fighting each other and just basically it's murderous uh, to get spots on everything from open mics to showcases to hopefully a show at like a laugh factory or somewhere. They're just fighting each other constantly for that. And they love each other, it seems, but they would definitely do that showgirls thing where they push you down the steps to get right. some stage time. Um, nope. But between us, no, it's a lot of like, it's friendly because it's p- the closest two cities to get someone else on your show who's not there every month. So like, is the is the scene in Milwaukee good? Now, Milwaukee, I've never been to. Okay. That would be fun. <laughs> uh, I've, I've done Kenosha. That has a scene, actually. That's weird. That's, that's got a few scenes right now. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> I haven't done it recently. Um, <laughs> no, they had a comedy scene there. That's That was weird to me. But, yeah. Yeah, uh, I know if you're a New York City comedian, mm-hmm. uh, especially around Binghamton or anywhere like in Pennsylvania, write your ticket. You don't need to be a good comedian from you New York have City. You have that credit. But as long as you, exactly. As long as you have that name, you're just elevated. Which is frustrating. And now a lot of the comedians I've seen from New York City are good. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, but there are bad ones who are like, oh, there are I, some wish very I, bad ones. I wish I could have your address. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you come through St. Louis and you got a New York or L.A. credit, there are definitely bookers here who will give you a little more time. I don't think it extends out to the clubs. Like, I know clubs do prefer probably to have a comic who's from St. Louis with a New York credit sometimes. 
and that's fine. That's what it is. But I think it's getting away from that just because we do have some good local talent here. But new, yeah, I've seen some bad New York comics who have gotten like 20 minutes on a paid show just because they said, hey, I'm a New York comic coming through. Yeah. But well, for the most part, yeah, it, I've lucked out and seen some good ones, too. L.A. seems to be worse than New York, not to cause a war. But as, as far as uh, talent wise or as just far as as far as someone coming through and saying, hey, can I get on this show? I'm an L.A. comic and then getting up there and they're an actor uh, who does stand up. <laughs> I forget where Ellen Doyle is from. I Is it L.A.? I think she lives in L.A. Yeah. What a dick. You know? I mean, not to draw conclusions. <laughs> not to connect some dots (laughs) how'd you meet ellen how did i meet ellen i don't even know she was coming through from something and i booked a room that used to be above a sports bar and i don't know if i can't remember if she emailed me or she emailed the other person who i booked it one night a month and he booked it three nights and she messaged one of us just saying she was coming through and won some time and we gave her some time because uh, she did have an L.A. credit. And like, <laughs> she went up. It was fun. I liked all of her stuff. The audience hated a particular part of it. And I was like, oh, I will definitely book you again. So I run an open mic. She came out to that that night. And then she's been through a few times. So we just hook up every time she comes through, try and get her on stage somewhere. And then I think she did a weekend at Helium not too long after that, which I like to think had something to do with the fact that I gave her her St. Louis break. I would think it had everything to do with it. I mean, Helium didn't call me, but I know they follow everything I do. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, Ellen, I, I booked her many times and uh, probably many times too many. But uh, <laughs> um, I think my favorite part about her is that she is OK with sleeping on my couch. Mm-hmm. Doesn't doesn't my I had a guest bedroom until I redid this office. She was the only person to sleep in that bed. I had to close the door because I didn't want my cats sleeping with anybody else. Because you know, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm very territorial. Yeah, but, it's your cat. Uh, yeah, but she no, she's she's been cool, and I like to I like to rag on her. Uh, yeah, but again, she's never gonna listen to this. No, she comes came through last time I saw her. I think she came through with the World Series of Comedy or something like that, and uh, it was a fun time. Like I like her. She has my favorite review for a host at Helium ever. Uh, she does a joke. I won't tell her joke, but it's it's dark. And someone decided to post on the Helium page in their reviews, gave them a one star review and said, someone tell that comic child cancer is never funny. And I was like, <laughs> ah, I was jealous. I was jealous. I've never driven someone to so much anger uh, to do that. I, I do have a negative review as a as a host at Helium. I was hosting for Dick Gregory once and we had to kick someone out of the room for being too drunk and too loud. That person went on and left a review going, this club kicks you out for laughing. And also the host sucked. But I don't <laughs> count that one. I don't no. count that. It wasn't my joke that drove him to it. <laughs> well, hopefully he drove home. Yeah, that's what I was hoping. That guy was <laughs> such a tool. Do you remember your worst set you've ever had? Uh, there's so many. I don't know if there is a worst. <laughs> there's just very bad ones. I'll tell you, my first, uh, there's sets I regret for sure. Like my first uh, feature set, you know, you jump from host to feature and you're like, all right, now I get to do what I want. I get to do my material in my way. I'm going to be super cool and casual because all the comics I like are super cool and casual. And I watched the video from that regularly still. I am very bad. Um, I am <laughs> low energy. Like you talk about maybe putting some, there are laughs because they're still jokes. 
But yeah, I don't milk any energy from the audience. I am leaning on the wall the whole time. And I think it's cool to point out how I'm leaning on the wall. <laughs> so that it's, it's not good. And I still do some of that material because it was good material. I was just an asshole who did not remember that you're there to entertain somebody, right? Like everything we do at some point, a chicken crosses a road, right? That's it. They're not there to watch us like smoke a cigarette and get all Lenny Bruce on the evening news on them or something. I remember when I started, I didn't know if I wanted to be a storyteller or a one-liner. I saw the instant gratification I got from doing one-liners. And I'm like, you know what? I want to do that. And I kept doing it. And I noticed like I went into like this Stephen Wright type character and I changed my voice. And I was like, yeah, I don't know if like people just didn't like the jokes. They didn't like that character whatever. So I still use some of those jokes, but like I'll sprinkle them in with stories or I'll tell them with a, you know, a real person inflection. Right. And they get such a much better response. So it, it wasn't the material that sucked. It was me who sucked. Yeah, <laughs> that's a realization that, that's hard to take sometimes. It's like, oh, you just don't like everything else about me. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> I used to speak way too fast on stage, right? So I forcibly slowed myself down. Like uh, one of the comics I opened for, uh, one of the local features was just like, you got to let the audience listen to what you're saying. So I slowed myself down like forcibly to where it sounded like I was doing like a kind of a draw like a hippie from California for a long time, like just a burnout. And I got so used to that just from forcing myself to talk. slow. that became my stage voice without me even thinking about it. And now I'm trying to break out of that to where I still speak as slow, but I don't vocal fry myself as much or draw out words. Cause it always sounded like I was just getting off mushrooms. Like, like I was just on the come down. <laughs> right. So it's interesting. Like you never stop tweaking how you perform. Because you want to you want to portray yourself, but you also you want to be interesting, too, because you can't just you're not just having a conversation with these people. You're leading them by the nose to a conclusion that you've designed for this premise. So I think it's fun to kind of play with that. But yeah, that first feature set, man, I still watch it to this day to like remember things not to do. Like I don't just lean against the wall. I like I have a foot on it. I'm braced against it for most of the set. <laughs> right. So you're kind of like landlocked. Yeah. The only thing I didn't do was sit on the stool. Thank God. <laughs> I don't think I've ever told a joke while sitting. Maybe I did. Yeah. Maybe I did. Um, oh, I know I did because I had a I had a show. I, I created the show and I headlined it and it was called uh, One Night Stand You Won't Regret. So I had a nightstand with me. It was like very obvious. But I remember delivering a couple jokes while sitting on that. Okay. Uh, but that was it. And but I've, I've never taken a seat on a stool and done it. Like I, as much as I ad- admire Bill Cosby for everything he's done in his career. Right. I just don't want to do that part, you know? Yeah. No, that's the one thing Bill Cosby did. You want to <laughs> Yeah. I always, I, comics do it. And I'm always like, you're not Chappelle yet, man. You can't. Right. <laughs> I've got a buddy who sits on the stool all the time and he's like, I know I shouldn't, but it's, it's what I want to do. And like that, well, as long as you know, you shouldn't, I'm okay with it. I would be afraid of like, uh, kind of typecasting myself. Right. Like, Oh, you're the guy who sits in the stool. Like when I started, I wore a tie, a shirt and tie. And like, yeah, as dumb as it was, I guess in hindsight, like uh, whatever, but I had a joke that 
kind of, you know, I like the joke a lot. And if the audience, it's kind of a bailout joke, but if the audience doesn't like my jokes, then then I'm one step closer to hanging myself. And that always got a pretty good laugh. So I'm like, all right, well, if I'm going to do the joke, I got to wear the tie. Right. So, uh, but I didn't want to box myself into this place where I was the guy with the tie. I don't want to sit down and be like, oh, that's the guy who sits. Like, what if Bill yep. Cosby one day just did an actual stand up set standing up? Like, oh. would, would it would just look weird. It would have been a whole different world, though. Like, who knows how his life would have worked out if he had never sat in that chair. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, no, it's definitely, it changes. Uh, I keep saying, yeah, no, I realized. Uh, it's a Midwestern thing that I read on the internet the other day that I didn't realize I did until I started listening myself up on these. Yeah, it's all the time. Uh, so, anyway, yeah, it's, you get known for one thing, and then when you start doing something else, you got to win an audience back over of people who actually know who you are. And luckily, I'm not to a point where anyone knows who I am yet, so I can tweak whatever I want to. <laughs> I, I revel in the freedom that obscurity uh, gives me. Do you have aspirations to get out of the St. Louis or no? I don't know about out of St. Louis. Um, like, I think I'll always live here. There's a really good local comic. Well, he's not local. He's a national comic, but he lives in St. Louis area named Greg Warren. Uh, oh, yeah. Has a great career, but he lives here. And then we're so central, he can go wherever he wants, right? And I think I'd aspire to something like that. Like, I don't know if I'm going to be as good as Greg is, but I think I could definitely, if I want to do this professionally, which I I shouldn't say if, since I want to do this professionally, like as my only source of income, I think this is a good hub to work out of. I'm not really looking to move to LA or anything like that. I don't want to write for TV so much. I wouldn't mind writing as well as stand-up, but stand-up's what I want to focus on. So there's really no reason. And moving to New York is just such a nightmare for like starting all over, figuring out which neighborhood comedy scene you want to be a part of, and then working your way up to like maybe hosting in clubs there again at my age. I'm like, nah, I could definitely do headline sets around the Midwest and probably a lot of the East Coast without ever moving. So that's what I'm hoping. St. Louis has got to be what? Top 15, top 20 most populated cities in the country, right? No, not even close. Really? Uh, yeah, I can't remember where we are. I know in the 90s, we were the 26th most popular, oh, okay. populated or something. Uh, St. Louis City. So this is where it gets weird because of how we're divided, right? Like our metro area has probably about 2 million people. But the city itself only has about 400,000, if even that. So we're small. More like Baltimore. I lived in Baltimore. And it's yeah. Baltimore, to me, was very, very big. I lived in Glen Burnie, but... Nobody outside of Baltimore area knew where Glen Burnie was. So right. we just lived in Baltimore. And when I lived in Essex, I could just put Baltimore and, you know, if I had the right zip code, they just bring it to my house in Essex. So like, here's how my mind works, though. Like my brain was formed in journalism. So, mm -hmm. you know, uh, they're called datelines. You got the city and that, that starts most stories. Most national yeah. stores, at least. St. Louis is one of the 30 in the country that doesn't mm -hmm. need the MO, the state. Right. So St. Louis, it's a standalone. Kansas City is different because there's a, obviously Kansas City, Kansas. Oh. But yeah, I'm like, so I hear that. And I'm like, oh, St. Louis is huge. No, uh, I mean, when you take in the whole area, I guess it is pretty big as far as like, we do have a lot of different industries here. So that's cool. But overall, I mean, we have one downtown, not like several different skylines. <laughs> Right, right. Uh, that's what I think of as like Chicago. I love Chicago. I love visiting Chicago. But it's also got two different skylines, depending on where you look, which I'm always like, oh, look, Chicago's got two different downtowns because that's what downtown means to me is like tall buildings. 
Uh, I'm very country mouse in my feeling of what a downtown is. But yeah, yeah, I think Baltimore is the closest analogy. Like you were saying, is that anybody here, like if you're from one of the inner suburbs, you do just say St. Louis and you put it on a stamp on your envelope and your letter gets there because we're the same municipal setup as Baltimore because Baltimore is separate from its county, too. Like it's its own county seat. So it has to fight in the state too. We're just a hodgepodge of uh, weird laws left over from the civil war. (laughs) Yeah. I, uh, I I was a sports writer. So, Mm -hmm. and it was the first time that uh, like Pennsylvania, I worked there and they did things in like districts. So, you know, if you were district nine, you could have included like schools from three or four counties. Maryland was all County Anne Arundel County and Carroll County and Harford County. They're all its own. Like, and they, you go into regions when you get to deeper in the playoffs or high schools, but it was Baltimore County, Baltimore city. So Maryland is really well known for lacrosse. So Baltimore County has great lacrosse teams. And uh, so I'm learning that Baltimore, I'm learning what lacrosse is really. And, <laughs> I, uh, say, I didn't know there was uh, like such a thing. No, as, I go uh, there. I go there. And I was talking to, I was talking to the um, the sports information director. It might have been the athletic director of Johns Hopkins, and he's like, "Yeah, like, uh, you know, you got a potential because six of the." Or I, I came to him. I go, "Man, I'm really impressed because uh, I look at the top 25 for colleges, and six of the top 25 schools for lacrosse are in Maryland." He goes, "Yeah, well, there are only 60 schools that have lacrosse, so keep that in mind." I'm like, "Okay," but like Maryland is so well known for lacrosse, but the Baltimore City kids. They don't play lacrosse. No. So like they don't even have the sport. And I'm like, how does this make sense? And my buddy, Brandon, who went to one of the city schools, he goes, he's, he's a black guy from Baltimore. goes, black guys don't play lacrosse, Mike. I'm like, yeah. Oh, okay. I get it. I get, I get it. My fault. He goes, he never goes, seen that what? episode of The Wire. No, no. He goes, yeah, why don't you come back in basketball season or football season? Then you can cover city sports. You're like, like Poly City, right. we're good. But yeah, there's <laughs> definite, definite differences between the county and the, and the city. That's how we are with soccer. Uh, St. Louis is a big soccer town. At least people keep telling me, like, we love soccer. Everything's soccer. But I'm from the city. We didn't do a lot of soccer. Like, it was football and baseball and basketball were our sports in school. And all of the suburban kids and private schools did soccer. And it was always funny just hearing how big of a soccer town we were when I was like, you never saw it looking around. Now we're a big soccer town because we have a huge Bosnian and Mexican population. And when those populations started growing, it blew up. So it is kind of funny watching all the prep school kids get their ass kicked and pick up games in the park because they'll go out against like a bunch of guys who like all moved here from Mexico at the same time to work in the same place who might actually be a minor league team back in Mexico for all I know. Right. But they will just run circles <laughs> around some of the some of the adult prep school kids. And I'm like, I'm for it. Do it. Take them down. <laughs> it's always nice to see a rich person eat some crow. It is. And I'm a hypocrite, man. Like, I still view myself as a poor kid uh, living in South St. Louis City. But that's not where poor kids live anymore. And I still do. <laughs> so, like, I realize there's a hypocrisy in me still seeing myself that way and enjoying watching some of these, uh, some of the wealthy people being taken down. But whatever. I don't care. This is America. I don't have to be consistent in any of my views. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think of St. Louis and I only think baseball. And I know you got a yeah. hockey team and, and a football team that moved. And Our hockey and team th- won the Stanley Cup once last right. year. <laughs> See, and I, I always think I wouldn't have even known that. Like, I always yeah. think back to Brett Hull. And like, uh-huh. when I when I think hockey, I'm like, I love NHL 94 for Super Nintendo. So oh, yeah. I have all Brett those Hull. rosters memorized. Yeah. So you have Brett Hull. And <laughs> and uh, I never really played with the Blues very much. They're a fast team in that game. But yeah. you always went with the – yeah, you, you got to go with the Penguins. 
or uh, the <laughs> Rangers. They won the title. Canucks were really good then. That's right. Play your season. <laughs> you can't even do yeah. that. You can't even play a season with that that game. Oh, you the frustrating part. Man, no, I don't I think so. Unless it. unless I couldn't figure it out. You couldn't do the season. You couldn't keep stats. Uh, uh, but it was such a great fucking game. The last sports game I really got into was Tech Mobile. Uh, oh my for god! The, for the regular Nintendo, way back when, I was always a shoot 'em up. Like my dad gave me a copy of uh, the Big Show. The baseball game, yeah, that you, for PlayStation, and I tried. Like, I started a season on it. I like put my players in, and I was gonna do it, and I just could not. I was like, "When do I get to shoot somebody?" That's all <laughs> I want to know. Listen, uh, if you, you could have been Richard Hidalgo with the Astros, and well, yeah. no, he got shot. <laughs> so <laughs> right, but you don't get to do any of their off-field activities. That's dumb. No, that, I think that'd be I the think- game. <laughs> I think it was uh, he played for the the Expos a long time ago. Uget Urbina. He uh, he's in prison now. I think in like Venezuela because oh, wow. it, it's one of those countries down there because he shot somebody. Like I don't know if he killed him, but he's in jail and I think for a long, long time. Oh man, yeah. Luckily, we didn't. I don't think our sports teams have ever had an active murderer. Like we've had guys who have done things that have caused negligent homicide. But yeah, <laughs> that's about Josh it. Hancock. He died. He's a reliever mm-hmm. for the Cardinals a while ago. He yeah, a DUI, I believe. I don't know if he hurt. I don't know if he had anybody in the in the accident. I don't remember if there was anybody else hurt, but you know that's tragic. But also that's on par with what our athletes do. Uh, <laughs> when Tony Larusa coached the Cardinals, they found him one night just passed out behind the wheel of his car. Yep. Like yep. he had had too much to drink and he pulled over, I guess, or hopefully he pulled over. The cop said he pulled over because he's probably like, you're telling La Russa. Right. I got you. But yeah. right. <laughs> you're a Hall of Fame manager. We'll, we'll, yeah. yeah I, uh, I saw the, the Cardinals game. It was Tony La Russa's last year. And mm-hmm. he was managing against Joe Torre and the and the Dodgers. Oh, yeah. So they, so they were both on the way out. And you never really go to see the manager. But no. it was kind of fun to be in that stadium. And it was the, I think it was the New Bush Stadium at that point. And yeah, because yeah, uh, the arch, one of the cool parts about that stadium was they had the arch mowed into the outfield. Mm-hmm. So it was really cool. But yeah, just to be there for La Russa and Tori. And I think oh, it was it was a Sunday game. So, energy. Yeah, it was a Sunday game in July. So it was probably the last time they were going to play each other. Right. That's probably some great energy. Yeah. I don't know. Like we need some more interesting athletes to do some stuff. Like when I was a kid, there was a Cardinal player named, uh, Terry Pendleton, who threw oh, a firecracker in someone's face. Yep. <laughs> no, like, no, 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 no. No, I don't right. think it was Pendleton. I think it was Vince Coleman. Oh, Vince Coleman. Yeah, yeah. that's right. He, he did that with the Mets, I believe. And it's like, wow, why? <laughs> but also, <laughs> we don't have Ray Lewis or anybody like that. So <laughs> No, well, Ray Mur- he, he might kill a couple of people, but he's not yeah. going to – he's not an animal. He's not going to throw a firecracker at somebody. I think the closest we got was when Dick Vermeil uh, coached the Rams here. We had Leonard Little, who was just always in trouble for something. And he, like, lived on Dick Vermeil's couch. <laughs> oh, my God, <laughs> really? Vermeil- yeah, Vermeil had a soft spot for him. So he kept like trying to give him more and more chances and he just kept screwing up. He was just always caught drunk driving or under the influence somewhere. Like he was just a troubled kid. Was, I think he went off to play in the European football league after that. Was Leonard Little uh, a lineman or a, uh, a defensive end? Yeah, I can't remember. That's a good question. I'm too old. I can't remember what position. <laughs> this would have been 15, 20 years ago now. So 
I think, right? Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, 15, so. <laughs> but it's not old enough to be in Tecmo Bowl, so you right, wouldn't remember exactly. it all. No, Tecmo Bowl was easy, man. Those were the days. You just chose the fast team, the big team, and then you got on the field and you ran horizontally. You didn't have to target anybody. <laughs> it, it wasn't a, was it Bo Jackson you wanted? Yes, you wanted Bo Jackson because that was when Bo was so big. He was also, he was like, because he, you know, he was the famous person, so he can move fast, and he could also be like on your blocking team too. So that really, was fun. yeah. How did that work? Or am I confusing this with? Uh, there were two. There was another football game that was big at the time too, and it wasn't Madden yet. Oh, I don't know. I yeah, mean, it, all, it all. It all. At some no, point, Pac Man came out on the field. <laughs> <laughs> no, I remember playing uh, the original Madden with my buddy mm-hmm. Jeff. Yeah. And, you know, and here's here's where I think I became a narcissist or at least that I know because I was always player one on these games. My buddy Jeff, best friend forever. He was always player two. I'd be the running back. He would block for me. Yeah. We almost never changed. Like it was always. (laughs) And I was like in my mind, I'm like, well, you're really good blocker. And the other part of my mind is like, yeah, keep telling him that because you don't know how to block and you want the touchdown. Yeah, so like, but like we would play with it didn't matter. We would just play the computer and, you know, win like two fifteen to three. And it oh, was man. like the worst game ever because we let a field goal up in like the fourth quarter. Right. Like, oh, we got to start over again. I when Madden uh, came out and you could just like choose two teams to play each other that were both computer. That was that was my shit. I would just set that up. I would not play either team. I would just be like, go. Yeah. <laughs> That was video game playing to me. I was like, if I can't shoot somebody, I'll just sit back and watch. Or where you could just manage. You didn't have to play any of the players. You could just coach, like choose a play and let them run it. That was fun too. Be a fun way to gamble. Yeah. You know, like, (laughs) like I think that's how you know you're a degenerate. If you bring your buddies over and you're just betting on like Ken Griffey Jr. presents Major League Baseball, (laughs) you know, the best baseball game ever in 1994. It's like, okay, well, we're just, you know, just got a hat with money in it. Like, oh, who's going to win? That's awesome. I think ESPN, they didn't gamble on it, obviously, but I think they used to put together like dream teams of players from across the ages into like Madden or one of the video game systems. And they would let it go just to see how all these players would play against each other with their stats being what they were. And uh, from what I remember, they were fun to watch. Like I think it was just a consumer grade video game too. They weren't using any like top shelf, deep state AI fake or anything like the CIA would have used to fake to rig the Super Bowl last year. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Not a, I don't know. Are you uh, are you happy with the Chiefs or no? Are, are they your team or no? I okay, okay. I, I just don't follow any of it now. Okay, okay. I just, like when I got it, man. When I got in, so I got out of all of the sports uh, because I was just investing too much time and energy into like thinking about sports. And I was like, I'm not getting paid to think about this. Why am I doing it? So I got out of all of them. Then when I started stand up, I started like getting into basketball because it was on every TV. Everywhere I went, right? Like you're sitting there, you're waiting for your time and you're either watching somebody's set or you're ignoring somebody's set. So I'm always looking up at a basketball game and I had to catch myself from getting into that because I was just starting to care too much about it. And uh, I don't know if I'm going to care that much about what happens on a TV screen. I want there to be spaceships involved or teenage vampires or something (laughs) else. I'm always curious about that because like the Rams leave St. Louis and like, yeah, I fortunately like I'm a Mets fan which is not fortunate, but like I'm the byproduct of a team 
moving, like two teams moving. Right. The Giants and the Dodgers moved, and when the uh, or the National, whatever, New York got a team and they put them in the NL, they became the Mets. So, but I'm always curious as to like where do these fan bases go when their team leaves? Oh man, when uh, the Rams left, they had they got to be angry so much that they didn't have to go anywhere. Plus. A lot of people who cheered for the Rams still liked college football. So they just, you know, they watched a lot more Mizzou games. And then they kept giving us little things that might have replaced the Rams. Like when the XFL put the Battle Hawks here, like all those Rams fans instantly adopted that as their team. And I was like, nah, I'm going to hang back. <laughs> <laughs> like, like the XFL and they're gone again. I mean, they're gone again. Well, and they might be back again, though. Really? I think the Rock bought it. Oh, um, oh wow. And okay. Yeah, I think the rock's going to bring it back everywhere. So you don't even have to deal with Vince McMahon anymore or whoever it was this time. It was Vince McMahon the last time. XFL's on it. This will be its third in- yeah. incarnation. So, yeah, whoever the last person was, I think the rock owns it now is what I saw because they're starting to sell Battle Hawks merchandise again. I've got friends who, during the first XFL run, mm-hmm. they went to a game in Philly. And they still say it's one of the best games they've ever gone to, maybe because of the, the company. I don't yeah. know if the product was any good. Uh, but I don't know. I, I don't want to be burned by the XFL three times. Like, right. At a certain point, that's on you. That is. You you are definitely letting them do this to you. <laughs> uh, the first incarnation in XFL, I never got into it. I was just like, OK, I get it. It's football with wrestling aspects. It's cool. But it reminded me of like Robot League sports Used to be a video game in the Pizza Hut that my family went to called Robot League, I think it was. And it was like baseball or football, depending on which one you chose. And the robots blew each other up and shot each other with lasers while they played the game. I was like, oh, that's what the XFL is to me. <laughs> <laughs> with this cool last names. time, though, like looked like it was just football. I remember sitting around somewhere like on a Sunday after a weekend and I wasn't leaving town yet watching a game. I was like, oh, it's just football. This is fine. <laughs> so. <laughs> so you you opened for Mark Norman uh, last weekend. Is there anybody else you, you've really enjoyed opening for? I mean, uh, I imagine everybody comes down to Helium or Funny Bone. Yeah, I like everybody. Um, and I've been lucky. I do some Midwest clubs, so I get to like perform with comics in other states and stuff too, which is cool uh, in clubs. And then I do the rock venues here. Like my favorite experience is uh, – Kyle Kinane, I think, was the first time. It's the first time I learned that having an audience, a comic headliner with a fan base, it's the first time I learned how easy those shows are. Like, if you want to open for Kinane, you just have to have some jokes. Because his fans come in so hot. He's so funny. They know there's going to be a payoff. I was maybe three or four years in. This was like 2016, I think. And a friend of mine owned the venue where Kinane was performing. I was like, hey, do you want to open for Kyle tonight? I was like, yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> answer to that is always yes. Uh, I showed up. I did my best 10 minutes and it took 15 and it was great. <laughs> just like just all just the from crowd, the last like, break. Yeah. Wow. And I mean, it is like slow pitch softball, especially when, you know, you're used to getting a headliner come through at like the funny bone who like when you were first starting hosting, they're not giving you the big shows. You're getting like the middle middle headliner who's just trying to build a career who doesn't have a fan base. So you're used to like drunks and hostile audience members, like just like what's going on. I could do this. When you got Kanane on stage later that evening, his fans are like, this is awesome. This is why we see comics. You're doing great, buddy. And it's a whole different <laughs> thing. That's incredible. So, 
Yeah, I love that experience. He was cool too. Um, so that was fun. I opened for JB Smoove. Uh, he was fun. He's cool to hang out with. Every time I hear his voice somewhere, it makes me want to start watching Curb Your Enthusiasm again. Yeah, he's it is. It's it's like a cue. He's uh, he was cool. It's the only time I've ever been in a room where someone has said, "Yeah, I think I'm gonna go hang out with Chuck D tonight." <laughs> and I was like. Uh, Chuck D was performing in St. Louis that night. And I don't know at what it had to be like a private event. Cause I don't think he was touring and doing venues or anything. I think it must've just been like, he was in town for some private event performing. And JB Smith's like, yeah, Chuck D's in town. I'm going to go hang out with him after the shows tonight. And I just shut up and I'm like, just trying to be quiet. Cause I'd been hanging out with the feature, uh, all night. And we were like bouncing ideas back and forth. And I was like, come on, man. Suggest that you take me. Suggest that you take me. <laughs> they didn't. I never met Chuck D, but it was still cool. <laughs> well, at least you got to meet JB. I mean, that's okay. Yeah, no, he was super awesome. Uh, he was fun. I mean, I've lucked out. There's, I've had a lot of headliners that I've enjoyed performing for. I don't know how many of them remember me. That's fine. I remember them. <laughs> so Yeah, I think, I think the goal is to get to that level to where yeah. you don't remember the feature. Exactly. Uh, I got to work with Titus New Year's Eve a couple years ago. That was fun. That was good because he usually brings his wife, Rachel. He usually brings her and they she opens for him. But I guess it was New Year's Eve and she didn't want to travel. So earlier that day, I got a call from the club and they were like, can you uh, open for Titus tonight for New Year's Eve shows? We're going to do two shows. And I was like, yeah, I can do that. I'm already wine drunk because I didn't think I was going anywhere. Right. Uh, it's New Year's Eve. I was planning on sitting here watching Fuller House all night. <laughs> <laughs> so I drank some coffee and I went. And uh, I don't think it was just New Year's Eve. We did a weekend. Yeah. It was a fun time. Now, what did you think of Fuller House? I liked season one. I thought it got a little... By season three, I'm like, this is too much. Yep. It's like, marry Steve. Just marry yep. Steve. I think the perfect <clears throat> way to watch Fuller House is you watch the first episode and the last episode. Yeah. I don't think you need anything else. Because if you're going there, like I was, to, to reminisce, and because I love Full House. I really mm-hmm. enjoy it. I'm really glad you mentioned this, because this was going to be the first episode where I didn't mention Full House. And I, <laughs> I want to keep I want to keep that streak alive. I help. <laughs> oh, man. But like, yeah, the first episode, you're like, oh, my God, it's been, what, 27 years or something like that? And I was like, oh, my God, I, I, all the feelings came back. And, and and the best part was Michelle wasn't there because right. she was the worst part of the original show. And I just hate her. But like, <laughs> uh, and then the, the last episode. referencing to her, too, though. Was oh, nice. I know, which which yeah. is, that was good. Right. And like, anytime you want to make fun of the, the actresses or Michelle as a whole. Yep. I'm going, I'm going to go for it. But I loved the wrap up with the end, but like, man, it felt like you're just trying to get through it. And, right. and when they broke, I think it was the fifth season. They broke it into two parts, like two breaking halves. bad. Breaking and I was like, it. yeah, come on. I was like, you're, you're not breaking bad. Don't do no. it to me. Like we don't want more episodes. We want closure. Just give it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> End it. Yeah. I want to see you. Fuck Steve. And I want to know that y'all live happily ever after. That's right. it. Right. <laughs> we we know the ending. Give us the ending. <laughs> More Stephanie. Come on. Absolutely. I think yeah. everybody could agree that Stephanie was the real winner there. She was. Jody Sweeney. God love you. So I think that's her name. Now that I think of it. Jody Sweden. Her Jody Sweden. Thank you. I heard the backstory is so crazy. Like they yeah. were saying, like I had read she was strung out on drugs meth. and meth. meth yeah. And then just like. All of a sudden cleaned up and now she's back on Fuller House. I'm like, that's the movie I want to see. 
Yeah. If you um, want to spend four seasons on a story, you give me her life story and then throw in the last episode of Fuller House. Well, if you, if you give me your address, I can send you her book because I read it. And, uh, <laughs> it I oh, think man. it's called Uns- Unsweetened. And uh, oh, wow. it's uh, it's good. But yeah, she married a cop. And uh, okay. I think, they, I think well, they're divorced now. Good. But yes, yes. There's still a chance. I mean, you got to get your wife on board, but yeah, well, you know, it's one of those. If there's a cr- chance for career advancement, we're both allowed to do it. <laughs> well, dude, I appreciate it. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, this was uh, fun. Thank you. This yeah. was a good way to spend a Monday. I, I would have just <laughs> slept more. I had some errands I had to run today and I was like looking forward to this. I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to get to do a podcast. This is going to be great. <laughs> and I don't have to do any of the editing on it when I'm done. That's the best. Yeah, I hate <laughs> That's the part I forget about. I, I love talking to people. I'm like, ah, shit. As soon as I hit stop recording, I got to actually work. This sucks. Yeah, exactly. The editing part. I love doing other people's podcasts way more than my own. So <laughs> thank it's like, you. It's like you're, uh, you know, when, when you're producing a show, you're like, you have to do all the little work and everything. Mm-hmm. And then when you're asked to just feature a headline, you're like a paid assassin. Right. Like, yeah. In and out. Click open your briefcase, assemble your microphone, and you're done. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So how can people follow along with you on social media? Sure. Um, On Twitter, I'm Chris D. Sear, C-Y-R. There is another comic named Chris Sears on Twitter. It's the same on Twitter and Instagram. There's another comic named Chris Sear. Uh, He lives in Connecticut. He's a funny guy. Uh, When you look at the profile pics, you'll definitely be able to tell us apart. Uh, There's no good way to put it. I'm the white Chris Sear. Uh, he's <laughs> the black Chris here. Like that shouldn't be offensive to say, but I know someone's going to be like, he's not the black Chris here. I'm like, in this case, we're both like who we are. Um, he's funny. Uh, definitely follow both of us, but I'm Chris D as in David Sear on both Instagram and Twitter. And then on Facebook, it's, uh, the Chris Sear. Cause I'm also a narcissist. So yeah. hey, my Twitter name is the Mike B Peters. Hey, there you go. Yeah. (laughs) That's it. That way, anybody comes in with your name, they know they're just a Mike. Yeah. (laughs) Dickheads. (laughs) Well, again, man, I appreciate you doing this. And it was great talking to you. And uh, I'll talk to you again. All right. Take care. Peeling back my sunburnt skin. I'll wait outside your bedroom.